Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, as always, thank you for your patience. Uh, Given the holiday season, I'm releasing this episode uh, a few days later than I intended to. Uh, So the film that we're talking about today is Uncut Gems, directed by Benny and Josh Safdie, the Safdie brothers. Uh, I was largely unfamiliar with their uh, filmography outside of the movie Good Time, which came out a couple years ago and starred Robert Pattinson. And that film was one that I didn't really like. Uh, I respected and I responded to in some ways, but it's it was just so stressful and it dealt with characters that I did not enjoy spending time with. And so... I had a hard time really embracing the movie, even though I could find no real fault with it. It just had to do with my personal preferences. And it's it's like Raging Bull in that way, that um, Raging Bull is a really well-made movie, but I'm spending time with uh, some pretty monstrous people. And it's just something that I have a hard time doing. And so when I heard about Uncut Gems, and specifically when I saw the trailer, I I had a pretty good sense of what the movie would feel like. And it was something that I was both excited about and not. Uh, The trailer definitely uh, got me energized. And the idea of Adam Sandler playing the lead role and playing a guy that is very different than how we're used to seeing Adam Sandler on screen, uh, that was all very exciting to me. But having seen good time, I was like, okay, I think I have an idea of what the tone and what the pacing is going to be. Uh, but nonetheless, I was still very excited about it. And then once the film was released, uh, albeit, uh, a limited release, uh, I don't yet know, uh, how many theaters it's in or what cities it's in. So, um, depending on where you live, uh, in the U S or elsewhere, it might be available. It might not, I'm not really sure, but, uh, if it is available, I would definitely recommend seeing it because it is a genuinely great movie in a lot of ways, but I would say be ready because it is an extremely stressful movie. Uh, it deals with uh, a guy, uh, played by Adam Sandler named Howard, who is a jeweler in New York. And he also is a gambling addict. And so he places a lot of bets, but his his bookies are now starting to come after him and he's juggling a lot of things at once. His marriage is falling apart. Um, and at the same time, he also has uh, an opal uh, coming in from Africa that he is planning on selling uh, at auction and making 
a lot of money. And so he's putting a lot of his hope uh, in this Opal and he's just trying to, that's, that's the thing that he's really looking forward to. And in the meantime, he's just trying to keep his, his bookies at bay and trying to keep his marriage going, even though he has a mistress. Uh, so there's, there's just a lot going on and anybody who uh, feels like they're juggling a lot just in their everyday lives they will be able to relate to the movie, certainly, but they might be able to relate a little too well, and uh, the film might be a, a very difficult experience for them. So if that is you, um, then I'd say go in cautiously and go in knowing what to expect. Uh, if you have seen Good Time, which came out a couple years ago, if you did see that and you enjoyed it, I think you will actually like Uncut Gems quite a bit. I think Uncut Gems is a better movie, but I might only be saying that because I got a much stronger sense of the character than I did from uh, Good Time. Uh, though I did get a pretty strong sense of that character as well. I just knew that I didn't really care for him, and he struck me as kind of dumb. Whereas the character Howard in Uncut Gems is not dumb, he's just oblivious to certain things. And in some ways, he's extremely smart, uh, but he, he does dumb things because he is uh, addicted to the, the rush of, of gambling. And so he does dumb things in the way, in the same way that all of us do dumb things where we know better, but we also know that uh, doing this thing uh, that is ill-advised still gives us a, a rush. So uh, I definitely recommend the movie, but with uh, a number of uh, asterisks. So uh, and I feel like I've, I've been talking quickly about it. Uh, and that's just sort of the way the film operates, uh, to talk about it is to start to tap into the, the pacing and the mood of the, of the film. And it is the movie. I mean, once the story starts, the movie just gets going. Uh, we, we get this very strange, surreal image of a world, uh, the world inside of a, a, a precious gem. And then we see Howard at his, at his store and he goes to deal with a customer and then the customer slaps him in the face. And that's when we realize that this customer is an enforcer for his bookie. And from that moment on, uh, everything is, is going full steam ahead. And so it really, uh, it's, it's a hard film to talk about and not get that, that feeling that stressful, but kind of exhilarating feeling that Howard has. So, uh, I will say the things that I, that I really love about the movie, I'd say first and foremost is Adam Sandler, which is not something I ever thought I would say, uh, as much as I do enjoy his work in something like punch drunk love or Spanglish or funny people. Um, where he shows that he is able to tamp down his sort of comedic persona and do something with a bit more substance. He's never really given us an indication that he is capable of carrying a movie like uncut gems. Um, because as much, as much as I do really love his character in something like punch drunk love, and he is able to carry the movie, uh, the director, Paul Thomas Anderson, is bringing in stylistic elements. And so it's almost like uh, he is he is 
bearing most of the weight and Sandler just has to not mess it up. And that is maybe a little bit reductive of what Sandler is doing in that movie. But in this, everything that the directors are doing is emphasizing the emotional state of Howard, which means that the actor playing Howard really needs to be able to hold that up and needs to be believable, not just in the way he carries himself, but also that he is feeling these things uh, at these times. So, and when I say, when I talk about the way Howard carries himself, uh, this is where things get a little bit dicey because he is a jeweler in New York in the, uh, in like a, a Jewish district and him being Jewish is a big part of the film and of his character's culture. Um, it plays into the story. And so he, the, the character needs to be sort of like recognizably Jewish. Uh, and because he works in an industry that, uh, or at least a, a section of the industry that's sort of dominated by that, uh, he needs to play that up quite a bit. And so, uh, anybody watching the film, in fact, I've actually seen some comments that talk about the character and they actually say that it's a stereotype, that it's just a negative stereotype of, uh, this Jewish guy and not being Jewish myself. I, I, I don't think I would know. Uh, I, I essentially just buy everything that the character is doing, but I also feel like maybe if I were Jewish and I saw the way he was talking and the way he was carrying himself, uh, maybe I would be offended. I'm not really sure. Uh, but I do know that, uh, some people who had a problem with the movie, uh, claim that it was uh, stereotypical. But what I will say is that I think what keeps a, a character from being stereotypical, whether he be Jewish or, you know, in my case, when I see like conservative Christians portrayed on screen, uh, they often fall into a certain stereotype, but the way to avoid that is specificity. And Howard is a very specific character. Um, the stuff at, at no point are we meant to, to take his gambling addiction as like, uh, as a stand in for, you know, like Jewish greed, you know, quote unquote, or, or something like that. Um, everything about the character seems very unique to him. And so, uh, you know, if you, if you are a, a Jewish person and you see the movie and you get the feeling that the film is being sort of disparaging of, of its Jewish characters, then I'm certainly not going to tell you that you're wrong. But for me, Howard, feels like just a, his own, his own character, not meant to represent anything. So, uh, and just the way, and he has to, because of his job, uh, he needs to have a certain degree of confidence and be amiable, uh, but also aggressive because he is a salesman and he's a salesman who deals in very expensive things. And so Sandler plays him as this guy who is who seems sort of like a con man who, but you really get the impression that if he were talking to you specifically, he probably could get you to trust him. Um, he just has a charisma that, that I feel like we don't see much from Adam Sandler. We usually see kind of this, uh, slovenly slacker type, uh, but at the same time, because Sandler was a stand-up comedian and that and needs to hold the attention of people in, you know, clubs or in some cases arena, because Sandler got to be pretty big there in the 90s as a stand-up, 
uh, he needs to be able to hold your attention. And so there is a certain showmanship to the character of Howard that I think somebody like Adam Sandler is uniquely qualified to bring. And so uh, I really, the character is extremely watchable, even when we're not really enjoying spending time with him. And uh, I really do hope that this sort of changes the trajectory of Adam Sandler's career. Um, you know, I remember in 2001, Jamie Foxx played a supporting role in the movie Ali. And it's not a huge character, but, uh, but he, it's an important character and it's a dramatic character. And I remember Roger Ebert uh, making note of that and saying that he really hopes he didn't know that Jamie Foxx had this in him. And so he was he hoped that it would change again the trajectory of his career. And it certainly did, because uh, three years later, Jamie Foxx played Ray Charles and won an Oscar for that. And then he was also the lead in the movie Collateral. And while he does bring. Uh, comedic elements to those roles, they are not, uh, they were not what were, what would be considered sort of the standard Jamie Foxx role. And so similarly, I do hope that something like this, uh, re-energizes Adam Sandler and gets him to take risks and not just do Jack and Jill or that's my boy or anything like that. I, I hope that this really takes him in a different direction. So, um, the rest of the cast is, is solid. Uh, Adina Menzel is in the film and she plays his, his wife, Lakeith Stanfield, who's, who's been a, a very reliable actor of the last few years, plays, uh, Sandler's sort of not really his assistant and he's not even really his employee, but he's someone that he works with and he definitely seems to be sort of taking his marching orders from Sandler, but he's not officially an employee. Uh, Eric, Eric Bogosian plays, uh, uh, the character's name is Arno and he is, uh, Howard's bookie, but also his brother-in-law. And so that definitely changes things. And, uh, Eric Bogosian does a really great job of just being perpetually exasperated, but also genuinely dangerous. Uh, it's a character that is surprisingly funny at times, mostly because of just this, this, stone face that he, that he pulls. And, uh, and I really enjoy that character, but I think the, the, aside from Sandler, the character or the performance that really strikes me the most is, uh, Julia Fox, who plays a character named Julia. And she is Howard's mistress and she is young and very attractive and you kind of get the impression early on that she's just some kind of ditz that he has on the side. But over the course of the film, you come to realize that she's actually quite devoted to him, even if he's not 100% devoted to her. But he definitely, they still really have an affection for each other. And you feel like maybe she just sees him as some kind of meal ticket or something like that. But over the course of the film, she displays tremendous loyalty to him. And eventually she becomes the only person he can really count on. And that is, uh, that is a, a surprising aspect to the film. And yes, even though it is a relationship that shouldn't be happening, it's, it's maybe the only pure thing in the movie because we see her love and affection for him is, is untainted by money or greed or anything else. And so we really find ourselves drawn to her as a character and we really enjoy watching her and seeing their dynamic. Um, so 
as far as a filmmaking standpoint, the film is obviously edited very quickly uh, in a very fast-paced way as it needs to. If you let the camera just be static and let and have these long takes, it's just not going to really work as far as creating this this sense of urgency. Um, but uh, also the music, which kind of has, the, it feels almost like club music. I say that as somebody who doesn't go to clubs, but it seems like the kind of thing that clubs would have. It's just this constant thumping electronic quality, um, which certainly helps keep the, the energy up um, to such an extent that I often found myself, my, my heart beating quickly, partially because the music was, was thumping quickly. So when I saw the movie, um, I saw it with uh, my friend Jason Eakin, who's been on this podcast before. And as we were talking about it, it's like, yeah, it is a very stressful movie. And maybe that's not an emotion that people really want to engage with very often when they go see uh, a film. A lot of people say, well, I just want to be entertained. And I have to work pretty hard to not be angry at that attitude. Uh, people that approach film first and foremost as, as entertainment. And I know a lot of people do, but again, at the risk of being condescending, I feel like those are people who simply haven't seen any other kind of movie and uncut gems is very entertaining. It is often quite funny. It's certainly engaging, uh, but, uh, but again, it is also, it deals with some emotions that we feel in our everyday life and maybe don't want to experience when we're seeing a movie. Um, but as Jason and I were talking, we were just so grateful that this movie exists. Um, because whether a person wants to experience this type of feeling or not, it is a movie. It, it is a feeling that we experience nonetheless. And to only have movies out there that show standard, like happy, sad, scared, whatever, um, that, you know, the human emotion is pretty complex and there are a lot of sort of sub emotions and, and stress might not even be an emotion. It's more of a state of being. And, uh, but it's a, it's a very human state of being. And so I, I'm grateful that there are directors out there that want to explore that. Um, and as I was talking about this with Jason, I actually said along those lines, uh, the Safdie brothers remind me of John Cassavetes, who is a director that I've liked for a long time. He's made a number of movies that I adore, including Faces and um, A Woman Under the Influence and Shadows and Husbands, a lot of really great movies. And his, his uh, approach to filmmaking is similar to, I think, what the Safties are doing, although his films are certainly not as uh, fast-paced. But he's he's interested in the moments of awkwardness that happen between people. Um, I, I don't remember if he said this or, is, or if this is something that somebody said about him, is that, you know, you, you know those moments when you and your friends are joking around and then you you hit upon a joke that you both, that you all really enjoy, and then you repeat it a few times, but then there comes a moment when the joke is a little bit less funny than it was. And you realize we've now, we've now said the punchline too many times and there's an awkwardness, uh, the realization that this thing that brought all of you joy doesn't bring you quite as much joy as it did maybe a few minutes ago. And you now need to decide 
what you're going to do at this point. Uh, that it is in that state that uh, that John Cassavetes makes his movies because he sees that in that awkwardness is also tremendous vulnerability. And so when you watch his movies, you see characters, uh, 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 sort of a staple of his movies, certainly a movie like Faces, is that the characters are just laughing all the time. And you really get the sense that like there's this feeling that once we stop laughing, we have to actually start dealing with one another and we really don't want to do that. So let's just keep laughing. Um, and I do think that his movies are, are unique to their time and a function of their time. He made movies in the 1960s where concepts like masculinity and, uh, upper class, uh, taboos and social mores, um, were being questioned and this idea as we as we would see in the, in the show Mad Men later on this idea that, uh, well, let's all act like we've got everything together. Meanwhile, uh, what's going on inside is just destroying us. And so, uh, Cassavetes was definitely interested in exploring that aspect of things. So like the movie faces, it's all about the faces that we put on to hide from the world and maybe even ourselves. But that is not the companion film that we are talking about. As I was watching uncut gems and watching, uh, this character deal with, uh, low lives and thugs and criminals and trying to keep his life going. I was reminded of the 1976 film, the killing of a Chinese bookie starring Ben Gazzara as Cosmo, who runs a sort of a burlesque club and winds up in debt to the mob. And so they assign him to uh, go and kill somebody. And uh, I won't go into a lot more detail than that. But what I will say is that uh, the Cosmo character is, he's a little bit more calm and reserved than Howard in Uncut Gems but he still is trying to juggle a lot and he still is under tremendous strain. And a lot of that strain is, uh, self-imposed. He has gotten himself into this situation and he is relying on himself to get out. And it really is a marvelous movie. And it's also one that is difficult to watch. Uh, if you're, if you're accustomed to just standard movies. So if you were to watch, the killing of a Chinese bookie and uncut gems. They are, they're often uncomfortable and stressful, but in different ways with uncut gems, it's the constant forward momentum. Whereas with the killing of a Chinese bookie, it's all about characters trying desperately to not acknowledge things to themselves, which means desperately trying to talk about other things or dealing with other emotions. Um, so yeah, I would say, uh, in b both movies are, desperate and stressful, but I think uncut gems plays up the stress and killing the Chinese bookie plays up the desperation. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd say, check it out. There are actually a couple different cuts of the movie. The theatrical cut I think is actually longer. And then Cassavetes did his own cut of the movie, which is actually shorter. And I think better, um, as often happens with, uh, uh, directorial, uh, uh, cuts. Um, but I might even have that backwards. I don't, it might be the studio cut that is shorter and the director's cut that is longer. Uh, but whatever the case may be, I think the shorter cut is the better one. Um, but they're both interesting. Um, and so as we talk about these movies and we're dealing with these guys who 
are just constantly moving so that they can keep their lives going and avoid the negative ramifications of what they've been doing. Um, underneath both characters is a pride. Um, and that's not something I say lightly. I don't like to accuse people of being prideful because I think everybody is prideful. I certainly know I am. Um, and, uh, pride comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. Uh, pride could mean that you think you're the best person in the room at any given point. Uh, pride could also mean that you think you're the worst person in the room at any given point, which is the kind of pride I deal with. Uh, but there is a, a wonderful Tim Keller sermon in which he talks about uh, that in both cases, you're thinking of yourself first and foremost. You're not thinking of other people and you're certainly not thinking about God. Uh, you may be the best, you may be the worst, but it's all about you. And that is definitely the, the, the impression that we get from both Howard and Cosmo. But in their cases, uh, they think they're, they're, that they're the best. They may not say it. Well, Cosmo actually does, but uh, Howard may not say it. But in both cases, they, they juggle so much because they clearly believe they are able to juggle so much. And they're constantly moving uh, in order to keep their lives going. And they're putting a lot of faith in their own abilities. And Cosmo even has a, a line towards the end of the film where he says, I've got a golden life, got the world by the balls. That's right. I'm great. I am amazing, uh, which is a very Cassavetes type of line is just a character who's puffing himself up. He may believe it. He may not. In the case of Cosmo, I think he does. Uh, and then in uh, Uncut Gems, Howard has this long monologue uh, in which he talks about the way he gambles, why he gambles. And it ends with him saying this, this is a line featured pretty prominently in the trailer. He says, this is me. This is how I win. Uh, and that's the thing is in both cases, the characters are talking about themselves and how great they are and what they're capable of. And in both films, and I don't want to spoil either one, but in both films, life eventually reasserts itself and says, you cannot keep going this way. You cannot control events to such an extent that you always get away with it, uh, that you are able to neglect the people in your lives, the people that love you. You're not able to keep courting danger uh, and not expect to pay some kind of consequence. And so in both cases, the characters are just, again, constantly moving, you know, sort of like sharks, uh, because if they stop, they'll they'll die or someone will kill them. Uh, and then eventually they are stopped by life, by another character, whatever it is. And they are told, no, you are not able to control all of this. And it just got me thinking about my own life. Um, like I said, everybody deals with stress and we are all juggling a lot at any given point. And, you know, we may not be living the lives of Cosmo or Howard, uh, which is this over the top situation where, you know, criminals or bookies are breathing down our neck. It's not that, but we do still have a lot going and we are relying on ourselves often. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll stop saying we, I tend to rely on myself. Um, to, to get it all done. I do not trust other people, uh, because I feel like 
and this is maybe this speaks a lot more about me than it does other people, but I feel like uh, they will help me only up to a certain point, at which point they will think more about themselves and they will uh, abandon me to take care of their own interests. Uh, that is a very cynical way of viewing uh, other people. And it's something that I've been working on. But another one of my deepest fears as a person is being oblivious, um, which is to say thinking that everything is one way only to discover that it is another. And I tend to think this way uh, in regards to what other people might feel about me, whether it be Jen or my friends or my listeners or my boss, whatever it is, um, I worry that the moment I start thinking, yeah, yeah, people like me, that that's the exact moment that someone will say, actually, I don't like you that much. And it's because of these negative traits about you. Um, so as a result, in an attempt to keep from being oblivious, um, I essentially sort of keep my, uh, keep my head on an emotional swivel and I'm, I constantly check in with people to make sure we're doing okay. Uh, I will try to do nice things for other people. And on one hand it's yes, of course I want to help them. I care about them, but it's also just to make sure that I'm in solid with them. And, and that's, and that's just from a social standpoint. There's also, juggling job stuff and podcast stuff and, and social obligations and all this sort of thing. And all because I just don't trust other people. And more specifically, I don't trust God. Um, and this is a thing that I've said on the podcast before. Um, and something that, uh, certainly a number of other people deal with is this feeling of like, Yes, yes, the Bible will says that God will take care of us, but at the same time, maybe God has a different definition of taking care than I do. And obviously, I know best. And that is is what I wanted to talk about today, um, because just like Howard and Cosmo, who clearly feel like they know the best way to get out of their circumstances, they know the best way to keep things going, keep their heads above water, and then eventually something comes along and stops them. I, I do, I certainly know in my own life that my attempt to keep everybody, keep on the good side of everybody and keep all of my tasks and responsibilities, just keep them in front of me, uh, trying to keep a, you know, having a stranglehold on them. Life has stopped me, uh, in, on multiple occasions in which eventually, whether it be someone says something that just was, is devastating, but true, or I myself just have like a, some kind of breakdown, um, in some cases, I would get uh, kidney stones, which can be brought on by stress. Um, so life comes along and basically just says, you can't keep doing this. You do not have the ability to do this. Um, and that can always be a tough realization, but it's one that I think is necessary and one that I think is very biblical. Um, and so... And, and it is, and it is rooted in this idea of pride because what is pride if not ultimately looking at God who created the universe lives outside of time and knows everything that's going to happen and say, look, I get that you're powerful, but I know what I need. I know what I want. 
and I know how to get there. That to me is, is the ultimate definition of pride is putting yourself before God, putting yourself above God. Um, and so there are a number of Bible verses that I wanted to talk about. Uh, Proverbs 11 verses two through four, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Uh, Proverbs 29, 23, pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor and Proverbs 18, 12, uh, before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. So, you know, there's a, a theme here, obviously, which is, uh, when you, when you think not merely highly of yourself, but you, you just sort of accept that you know how best to handle things, that's usually when you are actually at your most oblivious, to go back to this word. Um, you know, in my case, I try so hard to keep everything firmly in front of my eyes so that, uh, so that I see and I'm aware of everything. But that's usually when I am missing the most stuff. Um, that's, that's the irony, is the more you feel like you control, the, the more slips through your fingers. Um, there's a, a scene in, I don't like the movie very much, but uh, there's a scene in Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, where Obi-Wan is talking with, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is talking with uh, Anakin Skywalker, and they're fighting, and uh, 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 Obi-Wan finds himself standing above Anakin, and he says, give it up, Anakin, I have the high ground. Um, so he's ultimately saying like, Hey, if you try to come and fight me, you're going to lose just logistically, you're going to lose. And he's actually saying this to someone that he's fighting, but he cares about him. He doesn't actually want him to do this thing. Cause he knows like, if you come at me, I will have to press my advantage and you will get hurt. Uh, and when he says this, Anakin does not even address that. Instead, he says, you underestimate my power. He then jumps up at Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan cuts off both of his legs and an arm. And uh, Anakin is left screaming by the side of a, uh, a lava river. Um, but to me, that I feel like that is very much uh, a, a portrait of pride. Um, is God saying, hey, if you try to do this thing, whatever it is, and it could just be life in general, if you try to do this on your own, you're going to get hurt and I might be the one that actually has to humble you. And we look at that and say, you underestimate my power. You don't realize how great I am. Uh, as Cosmo says, I've got a golden life. I got the world by the balls. That's right. I'm great. I am amazing. We, we assert ourselves and say, just trust me. Okay. I won't trust you, but you need to trust me. I've got this worked out. Um, and certainly, uh, one of the biggest, uh, images of pride that we have in the Bible is the, the tower of Babel, this idea that people are working together, which of course is a, a really great image, uh, people putting aside their differences to, to work on a project, but the project is all about them being equal to God and God ultimately saying like, all right, I'm, I'm just going to have to confuse your language so that you can't work together like this. And some would say that that is about God being vindictive, but what it ultimately comes down to is this idea of like, no, you're not 
me. You don't know as much as I do. You can't do what I can do. And for you to think this is going to eventually lead to your ruin. So I'm actually going to put you at a disadvantage precisely to keep you from hurting yourself. Um, and so, uh, there, there are some other, um, there we go. Okay. So yeah, uh, from Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes seven verses 15 through 18 in this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living along, sorry, living long with their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be otherwise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be overworked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Uh, and that's what we're talking about. If you look at uh, Uncut Gems, Howard is living a life of extremes. Um, and, uh, and that is ultimately his undoing. I won't say how, but, uh, he actually gets so pleased with himself because things are working out that he winds up being to go back to this word oblivious. He's blinded to what is right in front of him. And that everybody, when I saw the film, everybody reacted to something that he was doing almost as though it were a horror movie and saying, what are you doing? Don't do that. And then sure enough, the exact thing that we all think is going to happen does happen. And, we all saw it coming, but Howard didn't because he was so focused on how great he was and how he won and all of that sort of thing. So, uh, so I also wanted to mention there's a, a parable here, uh, Luke 12 verses 16 through 21. And he told them this parable the he here is uh, Jesus. Uh, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So this is very much about somebody who things are working out very well for him. And in his blindness, which is to say he's so focused on one thing, um, I didn't, I didn't anticipate using the word oblivious as much as I am. Uh, but I think it definitely comes down to it that he's so focused on what he has achieved and what he has, that he is oblivious to the very fact that at any moment, this can be taken away from you, even if it means you being taken away from it. Uh, if you die, you know, you have these plans and you're so focused on these plans, but at any moment, something could come along to completely uproot them. And they might be a function of God trying to humble you, or it could just be life taking your legs out from under you. Whatever it is, you cannot, as much as you try, you cannot control that. And to think that you can is vanity, it's pride, and it's blindness, and it's obliviousness. Um, and it's something that I myself need to be reminded of over and over and over again. Um, and the Bible tells us this. Here's another proverb, Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not lean on your own understanding. And being 
being a prideful person means relying so much on the things that you perceive and your interpretation of your perceptions. Um, and in doing so, you may understand some things, but you don't understand everything. You can't, whereas God can. And I'll say this, if you uh, hear what I'm saying and you absolutely understand how to rely fully on God um, uh, and not be too reliant on your own understanding, then please feel free to email me or better yet comment. And I don't mean to be incredulous about that. I know that all of this stuff I'm saying is true. I just don't know how to implement it. Um, I have good days and bad days, but when it comes right down to it, I am so fearful and so much of my own pride comes out of fear. Um, because I feel like, well, if I can control this, then I have no reason to fear and I, I can be confident. But as we hear from this parable, that confidence doesn't amount to much because you really don't have much control. Only God has control. And if you rely on him, he also knows everything. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows the past, present, and future. And so, and it, the Bible also says that he works uh, in everything. He works towards the good of those who follow him. And so if you're following God, then you have no reason not to trust him because even the negative, he's going to work in your favor. And it might not be in your favor in this life. It might be in your favor in the sense that it gets you towards heaven, which gets, which gets you plugged into God. Um, but whatever the case may be, we don't have really a lot of control in this life. And maybe the biggest illusion is that we do have control and that we can control everything. And even the most powerful person in the world actually doesn't have that much control over the way things go. They can't control weather. They can't actually control what other countries do. They can control their responses to it, but not the thing itself. And so when you realize how little control you have in your own life, uh, how little you understand, how little you know, how little you see, um, it is probably best, not probably, it is best to plug into somebody who does have ultimate power, ultimate control, and ultimate knowledge. Um, and then the stuff that you are, quote unquote, oblivious about is stuff that probably you were, ne it was never in your power to understand anyway. Uh, and you can rest easy knowing that God is not oblivious to anything. Uh, that he knows the way things are, go are going to go. And so uh, putting your faith and resting in God instead of constantly moving the way Howard is, trying to juggle everything the way Cosmo is, um, and just doing the things you can do and then recognizing how much of it is out of your hands um, is, you know, the, the, the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And if you want to be wise, then fearing and understanding God and what his power really means and what little power you have is, is a good way to start, uh, to start having a deeper understanding and probably being a lot more relaxed and being a lot more at peace, um, than, than otherwise. And, you know, if you're a parent or if you have a very stressful job, then it's not like you can just sit back and let the baby cry or, you know, let the patient bleed or whatever it is. There are, we have things in our lives that do require our attention right now. And it's our job to do that. 
But uh, if we take that attitude and apply it to everything as though we will be able to handle everything, um, eventually we will be reminded in some way, shape or form that we don't control everything and we don't have power over everything and that we can't handle everything. Um, and so that's the stuff that I was thinking about as I watched uncut gems, a movie that is just a wonderful and terrible portrait of pride and blindness and relying on one's own understanding and one's own ability to control only to realize that you really don't have that much control at all. Um, so yeah, uh, seek out the movie. I think you will enjoy it if you let yourself enjoy it. Um, also check out the, the killing of a Chinese bookie. Uh, I'm a big Cassavetes fan and I, that is, I think faces is probably my favorite, uh, film of his, but, uh, killing the Chinese bookie is probably second. So check out those movies. Um, you're welcome to leave comments, uh, on this post at more than one Check out The Fear of God. Uh, Bob Connolly uh, has a new blog uh, post at morethanonelesson.com in which he talks about uh, the Marx Brothers and the impact that they've had on uh, the life, uh, on his life and the lives of his family. Uh, so yeah, check all of that out. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. If you want to email me, Tyler at morethanonelesson.com will get it, uh, get it to me. You can also follow me on Twitter at morelessons. So thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye.